You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to be standing on my own. That sitting stuff is for the birds. And as you can see, my uh, ankle is healing. The doctor said, the surgeon said, uh, I saw him on Thursday, just short of two weeks, and he said it's healing the fastest that anyone could ever expect a bone to heal. So thankful to the Lord for that. And it's amazing. Every now and again, the Lord has to humble me uh, and remind me just how precious everything that he gives is. And in this case, I have a new appreciation for walking. And so that's something I never had before. So I'm very thankful to God for that. My name is Benjamin. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have two other excellent and awesome pastors. And, and we make a team together with the elders and the deacons and the other staff. And uh, we are here to serve the Lord and to uh, work alongside with you. Because we believe our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We're so glad that we don't have to, to uh, sign up anymore and we can hug if you want. You can be close to each other. Just make sure the person you're hugging actually wants one from you specifically. And hopefully at the end of the, the uh, month, there'll be no more masks. That's our hope. And if you remember, for those of you that have been with us for uh, two years ago when this started, and I wrote you a bunch of letters throughout this uh, pandemic, and the second letter I wrote, I said, no matter, regardless of what the authorities are telling you, this is going to be a marathon. This is going to take a couple of years to play out. It's not a sprint. It's not six weeks to flatten the curve. It's going to be a marathon. And we're just about at the end of this race. I'm sure there'll be other marathons to come. But I just want to encourage you that as we're all getting together again and we're in close, some of you are like, yeah, I'm done with this. And I get it. And I get it. Some people are not. Some people are extra nervous. And so as we're a body looking out for each other, just be mindful of that, that everyone's going to have a different comfort level and to just gauge uh, where they're at so that we can finish this long two years together in unity as we have. As well, if you didn't get a study guide last week, we're in a five-part series on money. Um, If you didn't get a study guide last week or you didn't get one when you came in today, just put up your hand now. Someone's going to bring one to you. Uh, I encourage you to keep it for the whole five sermons because it's got uh, stuff that you can be filling in. I'm following the same basic uh, outline that you'll find in each chapter. Just uh, put up your hand. And then there's going to be homework that I encourage you to do um, every week. Um, Just one up here, Jeanette. And if anyone else needs one, so bring that. Don't use it for kindling yet. And I want to encourage men. I personally want to invite you to our first men's ministry event uh, starting March 25th at 6.30 until 8. That's a Friday. And really, I've been wanting to do this. The reasons I left the army... Okay, after the Lord saved me, and I saw the state of my manhood uh, compared to what God desired me. It was, I was a pathetic excuse of a man when the Lord saved me at 27. Then I looked at the state of manhood in our nation and in the West. And for a lot of men, we are not in a good 
workplace, even men in the church, are just a, a glimmer of what God's design for manhood is. So one of the reasons I left the army uh, was, one, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Two, is to share the gospel and just how awesome the Lord was uh, in saving us. And then three, was to build up men specifically. I have a heart for men. And so this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but haven't had the time as we've been building Calvary um, up step by step. And so I'll just read you the verse um, and then just the intro. The verse uh, that has been on my mind um, is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll just read for you the intro to hopefully uh, encourage you men. Uh, Life is full of hardships. The road to heaven isn't paved with gold. Jesus walked that road perfectly, and now he calls his men to walk it after him, leading our families, serving our churches, protecting the defenseless, working hard in the days we were given to become men who are ready to meet the challenges we meet in life, to become men who are ready for action. However, we can't rock, walk this road alone. We need other men. So on the fourth Friday of every month from 6.30 till 8 p.m., men age 16 and older are invited to come join myself and the other men of Calvary uh, to come together and build each other up to be ready. We call this ready men, or I call this ready men. And that comes from a group of men that in ancient days were always ready uh, to meet if, if enemy attacked right away. Even before the standing army uh, would, would meet them, there were these group of men who would spring into action. And, and that's what I'm desiring that we men become. That's what the Lord wants. So every month we'll hear man-focused Bible teaching um, and then break into various groups around tables to eat a meal together. Carlo's got great meals uh, ready for us discuss, encourage, and pray for each other. So if you're fine with being like a Homer Simpson type of male, this probably isn't what you want to come to. But if you realize that, like myself, uh, you are a work in progress, and you're not happy with where you are, and you want male friendships, I talk to a lot of men, and they say, I don't have any male friendships. If you want to build those, then I encourage you to come out. If you want to hear uh, just what the Lord, I'm going to have a 20-minute uh, message um, that is going to be very man-focused and very straightforward um, and hopefully applicable to your lives. I just want to encourage you to come out to that starting on the 25th. And I want to invite you to pick up your Bibles um, and your study guides and a pencil or a pen. Bibles are located in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a copy, take that Bible Uh, as your own. Take it home with you. And you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to be primarily today. Verses 14 to 28. And so we're in this series. You know, there's going to be some fill-in-the-blanks in in chapter 2. encourage you, those are the main points, uh, to take those. uh, And last week we started off our series talking about only one God. Our series is called God or Money, Who's Running Your Life? And last week we looked about at how Jesus really laid it out clearly. He said, you can't serve me and money. It's going to be one or the other. I'm not taking first, second place, Jesus says, to money. I want first place and everything else, including wealth, falls 
in line. He made that very clear. And as I was reading a book on discipleship uh, a couple weeks ago, I came across this example, and it was uh, regarding when Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And, and when somebody finds that kingdom, it's like the pearl that they found that's so precious. It's more precious than any of the other pearls uh, that they've ever come across, and they're willing to sell and give away everything just to get that pearl. And so this author uh, uses this analogy. Uh, and it ties in well to our first sermon, which was, if you didn't hear it, uh, only one God. So he says, when the man finds Jesus, it costs him everything. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, and eternity. The man marvels at such a pearl and says, I want this pearl. How much does it cost? The seller says, it's too dear. It's too costly. But how much, says the buyer? Well, it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it, he says? It's going to cost you everything you have. No more, no less. So anybody can buy it. Anyone. Well, I'll buy it, he says. Well, what do you have? Let's write it down together. Well, I've got $10,000 in the bank. Good, 10000 What else? Well, I have nothing more. That's all I have. Oh, you have nothing more? Oh, well, I've got a few dollars in my pocket, he says. Okay, well, how much? Well, 30 40, 50, 80, 100, 121 dollars I have. That's fine. What else do you have? I don't have anything else. I gave you all my money. Well, where do you live? I live in a house. Oh, then I want the house. You mean I have to live in my garage? Uh, do you mean, no, he says, uh, you have a garage? That too. What else? You mean I have to live in my car then? You have a car? Well, I have two. Well, both of them are mine. Both cars? What else? Well, you have a house. You have my house, my garage, my cars, my money, and everything. What else? Well, I'm alone in the world now. Oh, wait. I have a wife and two children. Great. I want them too. Them too? Well, now I have nothing. I have nothing else. I'm left alone. The seller says, oh, I want you too. Everything becomes mine. Your wife, your children, your house, your money, your cars, everything, and you too. And by the way, now, now that you've bought this great pearl, all these things you've given to me, I'm going to let you use. I'm going to let you use them as long as you're on this earth, as long as you remember that they're mine, because I'm the owner. So that's a great analogy for us to, to just get it in our heads. And I hope you went home and did some of the homework and worked through some of the questions, because nothing else in this series is going to matter if you don't get that right, if God isn't first in your life. And so now we're going to talk about stewardship, the, the art of stewardship. I heard a pastor once say, stewardship isn't just an, an aspect of the Christian life. It's the whole Christian life. It's everything in your life. Stewardship, as defined by uh, the Christian dictionary is utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and for the betterment of his creation. Stewardship is a radically different uh, idea or radically different theology than the banker sort of prosperity gospel theology that you'll hear in many Western churches today. They'll tell you it's about, the gospel is about bettering your life. It, 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 it's about you primarily. Jesus is here for you. 
It, it, it presents a Jesus, instead of a Jesus that's meek and mild and rode in on a donkey to serve his creation and to give himself as a sacrifice, it presents a Jesus that drives around in a BMW and is here to make your life just a little bit better. That banker theology is not biblical theology. No, the, the theology of life is stewardship, that all of our life is God's. So Christians can be wealthy. It's not a matter of wealth, as we talked about last week. It's a matter of who's running your life. Because if money's running your life, money is going to dictate. And then you can't be a steward. You'll automatically become a banker. But if Christ is running your life, then you become a steward. Someone who cares for that which God has given them. And one of the best ways for you to take a look at your life and to to help you determine who is, in fact, running my life is to take a look at how you steward that which God has given you. And so we're going to read through this uh, parable that Jesus told. It's, a, it's, again, a lot of people think they see one side of Jesus. They see that, you know, that, that very uh, kind and loving and merciful Jesus, which we know, which he's the more kind and merciful than any other person that has ever walked this earth. But we often don't like the very straightforward, very, don't, I want you to just understand what it is I'm asking you to do, Jesus, that we see in Scripture. So we're going to go through it verse by verse. Verse 14. For it is just, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom and the faithful servants throughout this whole uh, last couple of chapters. He says, For it is just like the man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his own possessions to them. In your study guides, you'll see, verse 14 tells us that we are being entrusted with God's things, stuff. And that is quite an honor, ladies and gentlemen, to think that the master, the creator of heaven and earth, has called us to himself, chosen us, and entrusted us with his things. Entrusted us with time, entrusted us with gifts, entrusted us with wealth. And, and when you realize that in your, in your mind and in your heart, when that is the, the thing that, that is pushing your life, you'll live life very differently from the average person, the sort of banker uh, mentality. Here's a few ways that you'll look at life differently. Well, a steward uh, lives life because they love the person that has entrusted stuff to them. So they want to live in a life that is glorifying to God because they love the very person that has entrusted the things to them. Whereas a, a banker sees the world and everything, even God, as primarily being there for them, for their benefit, for their personal welfare. A, a steward understands they're representing someone else. They're representing the master. Whereas a banker is just an employee of the bank, and it's all about profits and margins and numbers. It's not really about the person who's giving them that stuff. A steward knows they will be held accountable, whereas a lot of bankers live life as they'll never be held accountable. If you you looked at the way the 2008 financial uh, meltdown happened, uh, it was because some bankers got a little crazy and took a whole bunch of people's money and thought it was 
their time at the slot machines. And so they gave a lot of people that shouldn't have gotten loans, a bunch of loans, and then mixed them together and, and made, looked them, made them deceiving and then sold them to other investors and told them it was great investments. And not knowing these people buying these things, that these were bad investments. They made them look good. They deceived because they wanted to get money. And these were called derivatives. And they caused, through doing this at a humongous level, the meltdown of the 2008 financial system. And a lot of people look at life kind of like that. Whatever God has given me, it's mine to, to use for my own personal welfare and benefit. But if you want to be a faithful steward to whom the master will be well pleased, you have to look at life as something being entrusted to you. That's very important, entrusted. By the master to whom which you love, to whom which you will be held accountable to someday. Verse 15 then says, to the one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent. Now, we have to understand what it is that talent is talking about. And so if we look in Strong's Concordance, the definition in the Greek uh, for a talent, uh, a talent, sorry, is a silver uh, talent worth about 6,000 denarii. So a piece of silver coin, which is worth about 6,000 denarii, which was the common currency in that time. Uh, A gold talent was worth about 30 times that much. A talent was, was not necessarily the coin, but rather an, an amount of weight. So it was 75 pounds worth. So it's a, a measure uh, based off of monetary exchange. So it's a weight. So it's not necessarily a coin. It's not necessarily silver or gold. But it's, it's talking about, about um, what they would, a measure of weight or, or something of value. Okay, something worth a certain amount, 6,000 denarii. And so scholars would interpret this that Jesus is talking about a person's life, their time, their talents, and their treasure. The entirety of your life, you could say it. So God is not just talking, Jesus is not just talking about uh, exchanging coins or gold or money. No, he's talking about the person's life when they stand before him. And therefore, we are stewarding our time, and we're often so worried about how long we're going to live. I meet so many people that are worried, I just need to live a little bit longer, a little bit longer. But they waste the very days of their life. We're called to steward the talents we've been given, the gifts that we've been given. And we so often spend our lives making excuses. Well, I can't do that. I really can't make a difference in that. I really can't help this person. But if I had those gifts, we spend so much time doing that that we often waste the time and the gifts that we've been given instead of improving them and honing them for the glory of God. We are called to be stewarding our treasure, our money, our wealth, that which we have been given, and not worrying about always getting more, but being faithful with what we've been given. A man once said, well, a lot of men have said this, if I had some extra time, or if I had some extra money, I'd give it to God. But I just have enough to support myself and my family. Then he said, if I had some extra time, I'd give it to God. But every minute is taken up with my job and my family and my clubs and so on and so forth. Every single minute. And then he said, if I had some more talents, I'd, I'd give it to God. 
But I have no lovely voice, and I have no special skill, and I'm never able to lead a group, and I can't think cleverly or quickly the way I'd like to. And so God was touched and moved, and this was altogether unlike him, but God gave the man more money and and gave him more time and, and gave him some glorious talents. And then God waited, and he waited, and he waited. And then after a while, he shrugged his shoulders, and he, and he took back all the things that he'd given the man, the money, the time, and the glorious talents. And after a while, the man sighed and said, if I only had some of that money back, I'd give it to God. If only I had some of that time back, I'd give it to God. And if I could only rediscover those talents that I used to have, I'd give them to God. This is so often us, Christians. And then it goes on in verse 15. This is important. Key in on this. Depending, to each, depending on each one's ability. So he gave one five, and he gave uh, one three, and he gave one one. Depending on each one's ability. Then he went on his journey immediately. Verse 15 reminds us that God knows our ability. You get that? He knows what you're capable of perfectly. Even more than you know what you're capable of, God knows what you're capable of. And and so we can't always make excuses. We can't say, God didn't equip me to do this and God didn't give me enough to be faithful with it because God knows what we are able to do. And that should silence our excuses. And, And we should no longer say, I can't, but I can They seem like excuses to us, valid excuses even, but to God, they're not. For he has given us each a measure, a measure of time, a measure of talents, and a measure of treasure according to our ability. And sometimes abilities improve over time. And God wants to see us improving what he's already given us so that he can give us more. We've been given a time, a a measure of time, a measure of talents, a measure of treasure. Then verse 16 says, The man who had received five talents went, but put them to work and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two talents earned two more. In verses 16 and 17, we see that the two men went to work with what they had. They went to work with what they had, their time, talents, and treasures. They put it into action. They didn't just sit around waiting for more. They didn't just sit around waiting for someone else to do something about it. They took what God had given them, and they put it to work. They put some effort into life. They put some effort into managing their finances. They put some effort into using their time wisely and using their talents. Proverbs thirteen eleven says, Wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle. But whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. It tells us that God blesses that which is honest, if you're filling in the blanks. He blesses it if it's honest. And to be lazy with your life and to say that God hasn't given you enough to do what he's asked you to do with what you have is fraud. It's living a life of fraud. Fraud is breaking the rules. Fraud is saying, well, I don't like the rules, and so I'm going to make my own rules. And as Christians, sometimes we say, I don't like the way God's laid out life. I don't like the way he's done things. I still want to have salvation. I still want him working my life and answering my prayers. But I'm going to do things my way. And we live our lives sometimes with fraud. 
instead of an honest life, which is what God wants. I remember in the pot stores when they announced the pot stores were going to be legal in Canada. And now, I was a pothead when I was younger. You guys know my testimony and uh, all sorts of horrible things. And I know weed's a gateway drug. You can say it's not, but it is. It leads into other avenues. I know this personally. And, and I remember hearing a few Christians were like, this is great. I'm going to invest in some pot stores, and I can make some real money. And I was like, huh? Wait a second. You think God is going to be behind you taking what he's given you and investing it in something that leads to people being lazy and disconnecting from life and, and just being slugs and, and, and it's going to lead them into a drug that's going to lead them into other drugs and a life of just waste and laziness. You think God's going to be interested in blessing the money that he's given you if you invested in that? It's not being honest with ourselves as Christians that God's not going to bless that. Then he goes on verse 18. But the man who received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. I want to ask you, what do you think Jesus is implying as he's telling the story? Like he, you can picture him, the apostles and disciples are there. He's talking about the kingdom of God and those who are really coming after him and really finding him. And what do you think he's implying um, with this one guy? You got any describing words that would describe what he's trying to imply about this guy? If you do, say it, say it loud. What's he trying to say about this guy? He's what? He's afraid. Okay, yeah, he's going to get into that next verse. He's afraid. And what's that fear going to encouraging this guy to do with his life? Waste his life. There's one. Waste his life. That talent was meant to do something. Jesus makes this clear. He was meant to take that and do something with it. Instead, he wastes it. Any other describing words that would kind of describe the kind of scene that Jesus is kind of guy he's talking about? Sorry? Lazy. Yes, he's lazy. Instead of doing something with his life, he's just going to sit back, dig a hole, sit back and wait. That's what a lot of sometimes Christians do. They get saved, they, they, they say, I've received Christ, and now I'm just going to sit back and wait. Another word is, is he hid. He's a guy who hides, which comes out of fear. He didn't want anyone to see, so he hid what God had given him. And nobody, God's name wasn't glorified because nobody saw just how great his master was. And so often we hide what God has given us, our time, our talents, and our treasures. And the world doesn't see it, and the world doesn't glorify God. And one more describing word was he sabotaged. He was a, he was a sabotager, a saboteur. Right? He, he had made up his mind, Jesus says. This guy immediately went and dug a hole. That's not the gospel. That's not what a servant does for a master. But he was sabotaging the name of Christ, right? He, he went and intentionally dug a hole and hid it away and made up excuses why he couldn't do anything. He immediately made up reasons why he couldn't do what his master had asked him to do. And in a way, that's sabotage. I see that Christians do that sometimes. They, God asks them to do something. And they come up with their excuse and they say, this is why it's not going to work. 
This is why God's wrong. It may be right for that person and that person and everyone else, but this is why it isn't going to work in my life, and that's why I don't even have to attempt it. They sabotage their relationships. They sabotage their finances. They sabotage their churches. Proverbs 13, verse 7 says, One man pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. And so it was brought up that he's lazy. He's lazy, this, this guy with the one talent. And so he wanted to pretend he was something when he really wasn't. He really wasn't a servant of the master. And, and listen, we live as North Americans, we are encouraged to pretend that we're rich. To pretend that we're great. How you doing? You, you, you see other Christians, how you doing? It's great, I'm awesome. Life's great. Well, it isn't, right? And when you get to know them, you, you realize their, their life isn't so great. But they pretend to be rich, right? They always kind of keep up with the Joneses and they spend their money. They're so indebted. And we're going to talk about debt in sermon number four and just what God has to say about it, right? But they, they waste away everything that God given, has given them and go into debt just to try and impress a bunch of people that they don't like with a bunch of stuff that they can't afford. And so Proverbs teaches us Proverbs 13, 7 teaches us that stewarding the master's talents will take a measure of self-control, of self-control. And I think that's, that what, that's what the writer of this is trying to get along. The guy who pretends to be rich really has nothing because it's just a big act. Another pretends to be poor but has great wealth, and that takes self-control, right? Sometimes when you live by a budget, and, and, and we're going to talk about that in Sermon 4, when you live with some self-restraint, people will be like, oh, I don't want that life. I've got $30,000 in credit, debt, uh, credit card debt at 20% interest, but I'm rich. I don't want that life of like security and then they don't have any debt and they're paying off their mortgage and they're investing. Like that's, that's not a fun life. But God doesn't call us to try and keep up with the Joneses. He calls us to be a people of self-control. There's a saying by Dave Ramsey, who's a Christian uh, teacher of how to handle your finances. He says, live like nobody does now implying self-control, budget, so that later you can live like nobody does later. Meaning, you're not going to be working at Tim Hortons at 70 years old, slinging coffees, because you're so indebted and you never lived by a budget. And most uh, Canadians, as I was researching uh, this series, most Canadians' consumer debt, so that means like outside of mortgage debt, but stuff that they just buy, their consumer debt is mostly racked up, and you can go and look at the different categories of things. It's not that they're buying food because they're going to serve, they just need to survive, but it's mostly um, bought or they go into debt to buy things that they could have, didn't want to wait for the time to just save up like their grandparents did. They have no self-control, so they went into debt to buy gadgets and gadgets and stuff that they couldn't afford, which then makes them a, a, a slave to the debtor, which then throws their life out of whack. And so God encourages you. And in your uh, exercises for this week, we're going to be talking about stewarding your time. There's going to be some exercises for you to take a look at. Um, what do I do with my time? Because it's not just money you got to budget. It's your time you got to budget. And it's not just your time and your treasure, but it's your talents you got to gotta budget. you got to look at, what am I doing with my time and my talents and my treasure? And am I using them? For God's glory, and that's going to mean budgeting, writing everything out, and taking a good hard look 
I was reading a few weeks ago, uh, Matthew 7, when, uh, verse 6, when Jesus was talking about um, telling the disciples, if you go into a village and they don't want to hear the gospel and they don't want to hear anything to do with Christ, shake the dust off your boots. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. Ouch, Jesus, that's strong language. If you do, they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. When I was a new pastor, which I'm still a pretty new pastor, only six and a half years, but when I was a new pastor, I would sometimes, because I so wanted to see Christ change people's lives, I invested a lot more time than I should have in some individuals that didn't want to change. So I would meet with them so much, way more than I should have, and they didn't really want to change. They just wanted to tell me why their life wasn't working. They didn't really want to take the tools that God had given them and apply that to their lives to see lasting change. And I realized that, hey, if I'm going to steward God's time and the, the, the gifts that he's given me well, I really have to budget that time and make sure I'm using it to maximize his kingdom. And so do you. So do you. If you look at Proverbs 27, that's, that's the one place I'll encourage you to turn to. Proverbs 27, it's got some, he's speaking to the shepherd and he's giving common sense because most people were farmers back then, right? They didn't have jobs like we do. Proverbs 27, verse 23 to 27. He says, Know well the condition of your flock. Know well. That means take a look at, examine, and pay attention to your herds. For wealth is not forever. Not even a crown lasts for all time. When hay is removed, new growth appears, and when grain from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and goats and the price of the field. There will be enough goat's milk, for your food, food for your household, and nourishment for your servants. And then he goes on more to talk about it. He's, he's, he's giving an example. He's saying, listen, pay close attention, shepherds, farmers, to your life, to your fields, to your cattle, to your livestock. Don't just think it's going to last forever. Steward it. Pay close attention to it. Because if you do, it will produce, reproduce. It will expand what you already have. And you'll not just have enough for yourself, but you'll have enough for your household and enough even for your servants. And that's, an, that's a lesson to us. Like, manage what you have well. And it won't only bless you, but it'll bless your family and it'll bless other people in your life. And so, stewards want to expand what God has already given them. Not just have it or use it up. And then, verse 19 continues on to say, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And, and this is uh, in many ways uh, throughout Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, I've given you the references, Matthew 16.27, Romans 2.5. There's lots of other there are places in the Bible in the New Testament that talks about this time when we will stand in front of Jesus Christ, each of us. Having received uh, salvation through faith alone, not by our works, we will then stand in front of Christ and give an account for our lives and receive reward, reward or loss. And so it's speaking of this time. I have a, a, f- a friend who, who runs a, a business and, and he makes it clear to his employees, I want 
hardworking employees. I don't want just employees. I want employees who will work hard uh, for this business. And then he, he makes them goals and he sets them and he says, if you meet this goal, you get a bonus. If you meet this goal, you get a bonus. If you meet this goal. And if in the end, we as an organization have hit this goal, there'll be an even bigger bonus. And in the same, not different, but same way, God sets out his expectations for us Christians, right? It isn't just do whatever you want. It says, if you want life to go well, if you want my name to be glorified, if you want my kingdom to expand, then do the things that I have laid out. And you'll see fruit from that. God isn't a God who just takes for all for himself. No, he shares with his people. And that's what he wants because someday we're going to stand before him. And I want you to all hear the same words that I want to hear, which is, well done, good and faithful servant. So if you want to produce something lasting with your time, if you don't want to get to the end of your life and look and say, what did I do with my life? Well, then you have to put your time to work, the things God has told you to do. If you want your talents to make an impact in the world, in your families, in, in your friends, in your church, then you've got to Put them to work. If you want your finances to grow and you don't want to be like two-thirds of Canadians who can't last more than a month without a paycheck, then you got to put that to work the way that God has told you to. And then you will find financial freedom. Then we're going to read verses 20 to 23. And I want you to look at the master's interactions with these two first guys. I'm going to read it for you. The man who had received five talents approached presented the five more talents. So he's got the five plus five more. And said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Don't miss that. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have earned two more talents. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Three things, and there's, you can fill them in there uh, in your study guides. Three things I, I observed. Number one, he was proud of both of them. You notice that? He didn't give the guy who got five more credit. Oh, extra good job, man. And then the next guy with two came. Pretty good. Well, not as good as him. He was proud of both of them. They put effort. They used their abilities, their times, talents, and treasures for his glory. And he was proud of them. And isn't it good to know that we have a God who isn't so much focused on, on what comes out of the work that we do? You can invest your life into somebody and if you're doing it out of a heart of love and sacrifice, God is well pleased whether that person accepts the help or not. You can put your money to work for God's kingdom and maybe it doesn't produce what you hope, but God sees it and he is well pleased. He is happy. It's not the amount. Somebody gives $100,000, somebody gives $1,000. It's not the amount. It's the heart behind it. Number two, because of their faithfulness, they were given more. Because of their faithfulness with what was given to them, they were given more. Don't miss that. Jesus makes that very clear. 
You are faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. You know, we can look in churches, and we can see it in lives, and we can ask ourselves, well, why isn't my life like that person's life? Why isn't, isn't God doing things in my life like, that, like he is in that person's life? Well, f- you should probably ask yourself, are you being faithful with what God has given you now? Are you, are you making your, well, I, when I have this much time, then I'll, then I'll do what he's asked. Oh, when I have this much money, then I'll do what he's asked. Are, are you making excuses or are you being faithful with what he's given you? That was what Jesus focused on. Not the five and not the two, but faithfulness. And number three, he invited them, and this, is, this should get your attention. He invited them to share in the master's joy. There is so much joy that we Christians don't get involved in because we're so focused on the world and all of the things it's telling us to do. And Jesus Christ is inviting us to a life of joy, even throughout our hardships, even throughout our challenges. He invites us to share in the master's joy. For my yoke is light and my burden is easy. He's inviting us to come alongside him and get involved in the things that he says is important. And because of that, we will receive his joy. And man, don't we need a lot of, don't we have a lot of people who need the joy of Christ? A lot of Christians who need the joy of Christ, whose lives, even though they follow Christ, even though they know a lot of Bible theology and they can quote scripture and they've gone to church all their lives and yet they're miserable. They're missing the joy of the Lord. But he invites us into that and promises, if we're faithful with what we've been given, he will allow us to share in that joy. And that is great news for us. Then we're going to read these last uh, six verses together. Verse 24 to 30. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't reaped, reaping where you haven't sown, and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have see you have what's yours. The master replied, "You evil, lazy servant! If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited your money with the bankers." And they would have received, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and all and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even that will be taken away from him. And it will be in thrown and throw this good for nothing servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in verses 24 and 25, what was the primary excuse? I heard it here earlier. What was this guy's primary excuse? Afraid. Fear. I can't do it, Lord, because I'm afraid. What is the, one of the primary things that infects our citizens, the people of our nations? They are full of fear. Fear. And we wonder why our churches are powerless. And we wonder why the gospel is not being spread. And we wonder why the kingdom of God is not growing in this country, where it's growing in other countries, where to be a professor of Christ can cost you your life. Because we are so full of fear. 
We forget the promises of God. And the promises of God are what override the fear that comes along from being a human. Every week when I get up here, my wife will tell you I am full of fear. But I have to trust that God is going to help me do this which he's asked me to do. His promise overrides my fear, which gives me the faith to do what he's asking me to do. And it's the same for you. And so in these last four verses, I want you to look at a few things, and there's uh, four places to fill in blanks. There's four things I, I saw in, in this guy's interaction with the master, who is Jesus. One, the master didn't accept his excuses. Do you see that? He gave him an excuse. Pretty valid one. I was afraid. But Jesus didn't accept it. It wasn't valid. Sorry, not valid. And he called them lazy and evil. Again, that's pretty harsh. I don't think I'd even ever call anyone lazy and evil. Or at least somebody in church. And, and there's a... That was his excuse, and he didn't accept it. I used to have excuses when I joined the army, and when I was 20, I was a pretty lazy, typical North American kid. And... There's a sergeant, Sergeant Smith, and he rode me uh, like a rodeo bull. And he, and he said to me, when I was giving him an excuse one day, I remember it very clearly, he said, I hear your excuses, Emery, but excuses don't produce results. Now get out there and do it. He said that to me, and I was like, okay. I got to stop making excuses, and I have to start doing what he's asked me to do. And God sees our lives perfectly, and he understands the complications of our lives, but still we can't make excuses as to why we can't do what he's asked us to do, to steward our time, talents, and treasures. Number two, he says at a minimum you should have given it to someone else. How does that apply to our lives? Well, if your life isn't working right, your time, your talents and treasures, if in your relationships and within your budgeting, if, if in your life isn't working well with you being the one that's leading it, then you need to seek help from other people. You need to humble yourself, as, as I did. When I became a Christian, I was like, my life's a mess. I don't know how to do relationships right or money right. I don't know how to parent right. Help me, someone. And I went to the church and I was like, I'll get help from you and I'll get help from you and I'll get help from you because I realized what I was doing for 26 years of my life was not working. And so, as a minimum, ladies and gentlemen, if your life isn't working right, you need to seek help from somebody who is working right, from somebody you see doing what God has asked them to do. Number three, sometimes people end up being given what was originally destined for someone else, originally given to someone else. That's, that's a big thing. If you just think about that, I just sat and thought about that the other day for like 10 minutes. And I was like, wow. God wants, gives it to that person to do, but they don't do it. So he finds somebody else to do it. Sometimes he gives that, which could have been somebody else's, to somebody else who took the initiative and did what the other people weren't willing to do. You know, I've even seen that so drastically and I, I don't necessarily understand the theology of it all because God's ways are bigger than my ways and everything like that. But I've even seen it where somebody was married and they were professing Christians and one person walked away from that 
destroyed that relationship. And I saw it in uh, the first church I was in. Um, and I, didn't, I came in and got the background as, it was, as these people were getting married, but that person used to be married and they had some kids and they were a Christian. I was like, help me understand the theology of remarriage and everything like that. And, and, then, and they explained to me, well, they used to be married to this person who was a professing Christian who came to that church. And that man didn't want to do the things that the Lord had asked him to do. And he eventually abandoned his wife and children. Still professed to be a Christian. And the elders uh, determined and helped that person after a amount of time, and there was no reconciliation uh, willing on this person's, that that person wasn't even a Christian. And so, from Scripture, when a non-Christian abandons a Christian, they're free, they're released from that. And over time, then, that person, over years, somebody else came along who was following Christ and got married to that person and took care of their kids. That's, that's an extreme but God would have desired that person originally, but the other person ended up. And so what are we in our lives missing out on that God desires us to receive, but other people are receiving it? And number four, it demonstrated that Jesus was really not his master. Whew. He looked like a Christian. He sounded like a Christian. He called him master. But in the end, Jesus said, you're not mine. And Jesus speaks of this time um, in Matthew. He says, on that day, the day of judgment, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do many good things in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you evil doer or worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's a serious consequence to a life that is wasted not just wasted periods i'm not talking about that i'm talking about a life that is wasted instead of stewarded for the lord and so i realize that this is some strong words from jesus and i'm just repeating what jesus is saying and that may be some of you may be like wow this is strong i don't know if i like this i just want you to think of it as when you go to the doctor Right? When you go to the doctor, sometimes he pushes on things that hurt. Maybe he's being a bit rough, and I hope I haven't been a very rough or, or too strong in this. But maybe I've touched on something that is real and true in your life, and maybe you need to look at that and examine that. Because God has promised us. God has promised us. I don't want to be a church that grows but isn't actually following Christ. I would rather, as I've said to you, be a church of 60 people who are serious about following Christ than a church of 600 people who are just kind of going through the motions. Christ is calling us. Look at the world. Christ is calling us to a serious relationship with him where we will receive the joy, the master's joy, where we will make an impact on this world. Are you, individual, stewarding, what God has given you well. As Dustin comes up and leads us in communion, I want that to be on your mind. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.